The great outdoors is a place of enjoyment, peace, and solitude. But at times, the outdoors experience goes dark. Increasingly, outdoors lovers are encountering criminal elements, psychos, dangerous wildlife, and strange weather occurrences. Our goal is to raise awareness by equipping you with cutting-edge information and to shine light into the dark outdoors. Welcome to Dark Outdoors. This is Chester Moore. Running from a coastal thunderstorm in a boat is no fun. Often by the time you have the horizon turning black and the temperature drops and you see lightning, it's too late. You're going to be caught at some level in the storm. About 15 years ago, me and my late friend, the great Captain Philip Samuels and another gentleman were coming across Sabine Lake running from a thunderstorm that had come across the Louisiana side of Sabine Lake into Texas waters. We had launched under the Natchez River Bridge right at the mouth of the Natchez River and Sabine Lake. And we were about a mile and a half from the launch, getting a little bit wet when Philip goes, oh no. I had my head down to stop the rain from hitting my eyes and I looked up and there was a wave. In the middle of this shallow estuary, there was a wave that was over my head and I'm six feet tall. It was seven to eight feet tall. And Philip says, I can't miss it. And luckily he was a very experienced captain. He hit kind of the wave in the perfect angle to kind of split it. A bunch of the water got in our boat and I lost a very expensive camera because of the salt water. But we limped over to the dock about a mile and a half away and we're all just shell-shocked. This wave came out of nowhere. Now we're looking at the ship channel and realize that there had been a big ship that it went through. But this was like one really big wave, a slightly smaller wave behind it, and it hit us hard. This was a seven to eight foot tall wave, legitimately, in a base system. I had never experienced anything like that. And it made me think of the times I had been out in the same stretch of water in a 16 foot flat bottom boat. We were in a 25 foot bay boat made for rougher water. I probably would have died or at least capsized if I had been in the aluminum boat. It made me really think about this situation. Well, last year I released a blog about this situation. Ask if anyone else had had strange situations happen with big waves in the middle of bays or ship channels. And the reports came in from all over the Texas coast. This program is dedicated to what I'm calling ship channel tsunamis huge waves generated by ships that cause incredibly terrifying situations that I believe people need to learn a whole lot more about because these are incredibly dangerous. They're increasing in frequency because of deepening of ship channels and dredging to bring larger vessels in. We're talking in the Houston Galveston ship channel area, eight to 900 foot ships coming in. There are actually people who operate charters for surfing the waves they put across the bay system and ship channel this is a real thing and no one's really talking about it if there's ever been a moment when the outdoors experience goes dark it's when these giant waves hit and you're about to hear some eyewitness testimonies that will chill you to the bone they encountered what i'm calling ship channel tsunamis or rogue waves in ways that are truly terrifying and that we need to learn more about. You know, out of all the reports that I got, the one that Dan Elder sent me of him and his brother out fishing, 
and the flats between Port Aransas and Corpus Christi, an area that I've fished quite a few times in my life, sent maybe the most chills down my spine. So uh, welcome to the program, Dan. Oh, thank you, Chester. Glad to be a part of it. Well, Glad to you know, share my story. Yeah, trying to raise awareness out there. So you guys are just doing what you do when you're in that area. You're out there fishing for probably specks and reds, wade fishing. And I believe yeah. you were away from your boat quite a ways. We were. We had uh, anchored the boat, put the power pole down, dropped the anchor, and waded out. We were actually, you know, we, we were on the other side. There's an island, you know, a big, a big island as you come uh, – Mm-hmm. From Island Moorings, you're going south, and we actually came around the island on the right-hand side. So we really weren't right on the ship channel. Yeah. But if you look at the map, you know it's a big body of water, and um, we were we were in chest deep water on a Sunday morning about ten o'clock, <clears throat> and we looked south, and I saw a. It looked like a tidal wave. I really thought there was an wow. earthquake or some. Wow. Some, something strange going on. And yeah. it, you could see the porpoises coming out of the wave and riding it. Mm-hmm. It looked it looked like, you know, you can't tell how tall it really is. It looked like it was 10 feet tall. Sure. And it wasn't. Sure. But it was a perfect breaking wave. And it was just massive. And we saw it from, I don't know how far off it was, probably a, it looked like a mile. I mean, it was way out there. And I yelled at my brother, and we started running toward that island, okay. which, you know, we're, we're not in exactly great shape. So it was, <laughs> it was, we were just hauling toward that island. And right when we got to the, you know, we were in a foot of water, mm-hmm. the wave hit and uh, it knocked the boat a good 60 yards. I don't know how it moved the anchor. Uh, it was just massive. I mean, we, I, I didn't know what it was. And then we turned back to our left and we saw the ship. So the ship was way far away from the actual wave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of the big tankers coming out of Corpus Christi and going too fast and probably with a full load and, uh, you know, creating this massive, massive wave. And so I, I, uh, I got on my phone, I called the Coast Guard. I was ticked, you know, it was like, this is crazy. And, and by the way, when I'm watching the wave, when it's out there, I saw one small boat that looked like it was going to be ta- capsized. It wasn't, but you know, if that hit a John boat or you know boats with kids in them, I mean, it, it was it was a massive wave. It was it was crazy. Now, what's interesting about this to me? You said you saw this from a long distance. So, just experience and waiting these kind of spots to have a wave big enough to actually eyeball and and take notice that far away. The thing had to be big. Now you said it was tall, but was it wide? Did this thing have some width to it? Oh, it it was it was completely across the bay. Oh my! Yeah, no, it was it was a wall of water. That's why I thought it was an earthquake or a yeah. tsunami or something. Yeah, my yeah. world. It was just it was just this freak, massive wave coming at us. Mm-hmm. And you guys had time to try to get up to this uh, higher ground. And when the wave hit you guys there, I'm sure the bay had shoot it up some. Uh, but um, did it? How how high did it hit on you? You know, it was probably three feet on the shore. Jeez, something like that. But we were, you know, literally we we're in ankle deep water where we were. I mean, it was it was. You know, we got out. We we just kept hauling. You know, to get get as far away from this thing as we could. And and uh, 
you know, that's that we stopped when the wave hit us, you know? <laughs> wow. You know, it's interesting because yeah. I have one irrational fear in my life. You know what that is? Tsunamis. Like I went out to the West coast one time and there's this, I'm driving early in the morning toward this beach in California. There's flashing lights and it says warning tsunami action zone. And I went, and I passed wow. it. I went, oh my God, what color were those lights? Was it red? You know, so like, right. I'm picturing right. looking out and seeing that. Now, you mentioned you looked back and saw the ship. So what was the waves from the ship already past you? Or was this something that was pushing ahead of the ship? No, it was behind the ship. I mean, the ship was way to the, I mean, it was, it, it, you know, we didn't notice the ship until after we got to shore. And it was, it was, you know, quite a bit ahead of the wave. I mean, like a long wave, wow. a, a long way ahead of the ship, ahead of the wave. Yeah, very, very, very interesting, you know, because actually in the Houston Galveston Ship Channel, I've tried to contact them, can't get them to contact me back. Hopefully it will before this show airs. There's actually a group that books surfing trips in the Galveston Houston Ship Channel during the summer months riding these waves. Yeah, I believe it. And one of the things they say on their website is these waves last a long way. They cut across a big swath, you know. Um, oh, yeah. this I guarantee it, this wave went, if you looked at the map, it went all the way. It, it just kept going. I mean, there was nothing that was going to stop this until it hit land. Wow. And you said it took your boat about 60 yards away? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow Move the boat. It was incredible. You know, it I, was incredible. I, I'm thinking about what would happen if you had been closer to the edge of the channel where the thing jumped over. You know, like, you know, if you'd have been in water over there, you wouldn't have had time probably to even respond like that. Maybe not. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. A lot I mean, of stuff or, going on. Or if I hadn't have noticed it, you know, if I would have just been fishing the other direction and not looking back toward my left, you know, I might not have seen it. And I mean, it took us a good, I'll bet we were running in the water for at least 10 minutes. We were moving as fast as we could move. Wow. Yeah, you know, and I just look at it. It's like you know, the Coast Guard. They, they've got a. They got a. I don't. They've got to have GPSs on these things. They know how fast they're going. They, I mean, they sh- they should be required to crawl through those areas. Yeah, you know, it's- and find the heck out of them if they if they break the, the uh, some limit because you know they they there's that that channel's seventy five feet deep. Yeah, you know, and so that it's there to you know for these massive ships to move through with with you know millions of barrels of oil and and uh yeah i mean it's it's it it can create a massive wave if they do not go you know if, if they're going at any you know any speed right i i see yeah. i'm glad you survived <laughs> i hope you never run into something like that again and i appreciate you taking the time to share it with others absolutely chester appreciate you in increasing numbers people across north america are going missing in the wild Dark Outdoors is committed to shining light on this topic and raising awareness when public interest in these cases fades away. This week's Missing in the Wild segment profiles Daniel Lamthak. He's a hiker from Utah who went missing July 16, 2022 in the San Juan National Forest in Colorado. His vehicle was found near the Molas Lake Trailhead. Daniel is 22 years old, Asian, weighs 130 pounds and is 5 feet 4 inches tall, and he wears glasses. If you have any information about Daniel Lamthak's disappearance or whereabouts, call the San Juan Sheriff's Office at 970-387-5531. That's 970-387-5531. 
This is Chester Moore. And if you love horror, you need to go to Texas Frightmare Weekend. Texas Frightmare Weekend is a Southwest premier horror convention and film festival. Now entering its 17th year, the event will now take place May 26 to 28, 2023 at the Irving Convention Center in Toyota Music Factory. Texas Frightmare Weekend is proud to announce the return of John Carpenter, legendary director of Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, Escape from New York, They Live, and many more. Tickets and info are available now at TexasFrightmareWeekend.com. That's TexasFrightmareWeekend.com. Com. Tell, uh, let's tell our listeners out there, uh, Susan, what happened when you were out in your 26-foot cabin boat? My husband and I were out. We had a, a 26-foot uh, Bayliner cabin cruiser. Mm-hmm. And uh, beautiful weather. The water was calm. The winds were calm. And uh, we, I had the front hatch open so I could get air down in the, in the cabin. cabin area. I was mm-hmm. down there making sandwiches or something. Uh, we didn't have an anchor deployed, but we were about, we were off Dollar Point right there at the Texas City levee, mm-hmm. further down than the dike. Uh, maybe about a quarter of a mile offshore, uh, probably about three to four foot of water. And uh, I went down below when my husband called me up and he goes, you know, he was, I could tell him something was wrong. Yeah. And so I, I step up on the dock and there's this huge rogue wave coming at us. Uh, he go, he told me immediately to sit down between the, the chair and the passenger's wall right there, a little container. Mm-hmm. And then he grabbed the uh, the steering wheel and uh, he pointed the bow into the wave. Now, he had been in the Navy and we'd both taken the auxiliary Coast Guard class. So we weren't totally clueless. We knew to keep the bow of the, uh, the bow of the boat into the wave that was coming. Yeah. But anyway, it was, it was huge in length as well as height. Uh, there was no way we could avoid it an impact. Uh, there was about a two to three second period between the waves when we finally, you know, after we noticed after it hit us. Uh, and it was about 12 foot tall. It was well, wow. you know, it, it would have wiped out a small boat. 12 foot tall wave. Now, you said it was really long as well. So can you give me an estimate? Was it a quarter mile, a few hundred yards or? No, no, it was a quarter mile at least. Wow. Uh, it, well, when he first saw it, he told me, you know, told me back, but before he called me up, he goes, he thought somebody was pulling pipe. Okay. Extremely long pipe across, across through the ship channel or something. Yeah, down that, 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 that makes sense because I've seen some mega pipe coming across there that's just like a big, long, 100-yard piece of pipe and sticks about six yeah. feet out of the water, that kind of thing. Yeah, this and and in the distance, that's probably what it kind of looked like. Mm-hmm. But anyway, then we realized that it wasn't galvanized pipe. That was a breaking wave that was coming over us, and uh, it was about a hundred yards away. But you couldn't hear it. You know, it Silent was. Killer. I don't know if it was the direction of the wind or what it was, but you mm-hmm. couldn't you couldn't hear the wave coming. So anyway, well, thank goodness we weren't anchored out. Uh, you know, this this wave would have hit us from the side. It would have flipped us. We'd have been crushed underneath in that amount, that that shallow water. Uh, you couldn't run from it. It was just too long. Uh, there was no way to get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was terrified. So anyway, I, I did what he said, and I got down between the, the wall and the seat. And uh, then the first wave hit. The, uh, the front of the boat, this was a 26-foot. Heavy boat. I mean, sure. we didn't try that. We kept it at Seabrook Shipyard. 
and uh, it it must have picked up the front of that boat by about twelve foot. Wow! And then and then we slammed back down into the trough. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the boat didn't break with mm-hmm. the amount of impact. It was just unbelievable. Um, anyway, we were both lifted off the deck. Luckily, I fell back down where I was where I was hiding, mm-hmm. and my husband never let go of the uh, steering wheel. And so um, that that all kind of worked out good for us. But then it hit maybe two or three more times after that. We had follow up waves. But because the two to three second period really helps because it doesn't seem like that long, but it allows you to re-grab everything and yeah. hold on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, but it, and also by being not any steeper, we didn't have to worry about the boat. The boat didn't pitch pole and slip over or anything. It was, like I said, if we'd have been in anything shorter than the, the 12-foot boat or even a 16, 20-foot boat, I think it would have flipped forward, you know, how roll over i had never seen a wave like this before mm-hmm. uh you know we, we fished galveston bay a couple more times after that but we'd always stay out closer to the ship channel so we could watch the ship wakes yeah and hopefully we'd either just hit a swell was our hope or we'd have time to run if we saw it coming yeah. but uh, we kind we quit fishing the, sh- the short uh, shallower water uh you know if you look at the physics of a wave the shallower the water gets the more water the more the height the wave is going to be mm-hmm. and uh so i don't i don't know you know it's like we got away from galveston bay completely i i fish all the time i, I stayed in today so i could talk to you well, i appreciate that but, uh, <laughs> but yeah but but the heavy it, it's the heavy ships going yeah. too fast and they're pushing a huge amount of water pray prepare and pack heat. It's time for some Dark Outdoors defense strategies and techniques. This week's Dark Outdoors defense involves a radio. Yes, a radio. If you're boating, if you're fishing, you need a VHF radio. It doesn't matter if you have a cell phone or not. You need a VHF radio. You see, VHF radios can operate without a network. A network goes down. You can't access it. You can still get a VHF signal out there to local Coast Guard and emergency networks. You need to have all that stuff plugged in, programmed in, written down, and you can have contact out there without a cell phone. They can also be waterproof and sandproof. And that's a very important thing, especially if like your boat capsizes and maybe you have a floating device on it or something like that. Multiple people can hear the signal and be dispatched at one time or say you don't reach the person you need to reach. Someone else hears this they can call it in. So this is another reason you need a VHF radio. Also, they can communicate across great distances. And most of us are not going to be 30 plus miles from um, shore. Uh, most of us are going to be in a base system, a river system, a lake, a reservoir, and you can communicate across 30 plus miles with a VHF radio. Very, very important. We shouldn't always think that our cell phone can save our life. Get a good marine VHF radio And if something goes down, have the right frequencies dialed in and know that you can reach someone to help you in what may seem like a helpless situation. Dark Outdoors Defense is brought to you by Hog Hunt USA, an app created to help control the hog population by helping more people kill more hogs more often. 
They're doing this by building a network of outfitters and landowners to provide excellent hunting opportunities at a big discount. I totally dig that. The hunts begin in January, but starting in October, you can log in to upload pictures of your hog hunts for a chance to win a night vision scope, gift certificate for a hunting rifle, and other hog hunting gear. We'll be reporting about this here on Dark Outdoors and other media platforms. Don't forget, Hog Hunt USA, it's going to be a game changer in the hunting world. We're about to speak to someone who works with a group trying to raise awareness to these waves. We have David Clark with the Lone Star Harbor Safety Committee on the line, and he's going to talk about signage being put out in the Houston-Galveston complex to raise awareness to these rogue waves. I wrote a blog post at fishgame.com, went out in our e-newsletter, and I mentioned uh, some of these big waves in the ship channel that are potential dangers. And he reached out and told me about a program they have to sort of raise awareness to what's going on out there. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Clark. Well, thank you for having me, sir. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, you had mentioned in your email that there was sort of a, a working group put together and some challenges about some of these larger ships coming in, some of the wakes they produce and uh, some issues potentially with boaters? Uh, yes, sir. I, I guess uh, 2020 brought with it not only COVID, but uh, I know a lot more people out on the water because they couldn't get to work. And uh, so uh, so with that came in kind, kind of an uptick, uptick in the boating incident sure. in the Houston-Galveston area. And we had three fatalities that were attributed uh, possibly to the the waves that are associated associated with those uh, big ships transiting the ship channel. Mm -hmm. So uh, the U.S. Coast Guard from Sector Houston Galveston um, brought the problem to our uh, to the Lone Star Harbor Safety Committee, um, made us aware of it, and uh, at the request of the Coast Guard, we stood up a working group. Mm -hmm. uh, the Harbor Safety Committee stood up a working group to. To address the problem, see if there's anything we do about it. And one of the, the solutions you guys have had is you're putting signage out. As a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, this signage should be putting out, or is it out right now? Well, we're we're working on it. Uh -huh. we're, we, we've received all the signs, and we're getting the materials together. We've been meeting with the representative from the different boat ramps in the area mm -hmm. just to get a plan together. But we're 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 on the road to getting them installed. Yeah, and there's a QR code you can scan on that. And if you scan that QR code, it has some information about boater safety and things like that. And one of the things that's going to be heard on this podcast is some stories some people have had of some, some pretty crazy wave action. And actually, what got me to even talk about this topic was in Sabine Lake off the Sabine Nature Ship Channel, a rogue wave that hit our boat, which was pretty crazy. And I got to thinking, we were in a bay boat and it almost took us out. Uh, if I'd have been in my aluminum boat, I'd have probably been in trouble. So education is always the key, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, it is. We uh, we saw that um, folks that uh, belong to marinas and the yachting community and and, uh, and boating groups, they um, you know they they could uh, receive information. They talk about things in their meetings or what have you. But mm -hmm. we we thought that the that and probably the most vulnerable um, 
sector of the uh, recreational boaters were the ones that didn't belong to any um, any groups, and they just went and saw an opportunity a day off, and they they launched their boat at a local ramp and just went out in the bay to have a good day of fishing or what have you. So we wanted to reach them. You know, this isn't just, of course, Houston-Galveston area issue. It's happening all along the coast and has been for a long time. There's always been, a, you know, some uh, issues with wakes of ships and stuff like that. But with the, the deepening and the, the dredging and all that stuff, um, I mean, I was looking at the Galveston pilots. Uh, they have a document called Sharing Our Bays uh, for the Public. And it's said in there that there it's now uh, possible for boats nearly a thousand feet long and 150 feet wide to come into the system. That's, that's correct. That is a big, big, big ship, and um, so of course, bigger ship, especially fully loaded, is going to be throwing a lot bigger wake and stuff like that. And people need to be aware of that. And I think for people, maybe let's just you know talking specifically about the Houston Galveston area. I mean, if you've never fished that ecosystem, I mean, you can be in Galveston Bay and be miles and miles and miles from shoreline. And it's almost like being in a, you know, the Gulf of Mexico at times. Uh, you can be way off away. And I think people may be learning a little bit more about like the shipping lanes, the boating lanes, key intersections and stuff like that would probably be a, a good way to start in terms of uh, approaching it from a safe perspective. That's correct. And the, one of the the things that makes this particularly hazardous is that uh, uh, since the ships are larger, the waves they seem to be projecting farther away from the uh, ship channel. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, the ships aren't, uh, they're not like those you know, high-performance race boats. You can't hear them. Mm -hmm. When they go by, they're very quiet mm -hmm. and, uh, and they're very slow. Uh, so you just don't notice it, right? Yeah, and that's a really good point. We actually have an account of someone who's fishing a little jetty over by the Bolivar Ferry area at night, walk, you know, walked out to the end, and all of a sudden a wave comes to the top of the jetty, and they never heard a ship or anything. If someone right now just wants to get more information on this, is there a, a social media page or a web page they could go to? Probably the most, uh, the most information on this would be the... Uh, Recreational Boater Information Guy uh, Facebook page, and that's uh, that's uh, run by Philip Croft. Mm -hmm. He was the the former uh, prior recreational boater uh, safety rep for the Harbor Safety Committee, mm -hmm. but he uh, he belongs to a number of yachting groups and, and things. So he's he's constantly posting information on that. We're about raising awareness just to keep people safe and having a good time. And like a lot of the stuff I end up broadcasting and writing about, it happened to me first. So that's why I want to <laughs> I want to make people aware, catch you off guard and be like, you know, because if you go in the outdoors enough, um, something's going to happen. There's always uh, something going to go down. Something's going to be a little bit shaky. And we want to make sure other people can be more prepared than me when I started off. So, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for your time and for the efforts you guys and the committee are doing to raise awareness to what's going on there in the Houston Galveston Ship Channel. Yeah, you're very welcome, sir. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Okay, on the line, we have Roy Edwards. And I put the first article about these. Uh, rogue waves out there he reached out to me about a situation that occurred in the trinity bay area 
So you were out at Tin Can Reef fishing the Trinity Bay area. And uh, what, ha- what happened on that day? Well, I was anchored off of, on the east side of Tin Can Reef. Mm-hmm. And I was catching trout, having a good time. Had a long rope out for, uh, for my anchor. Uh, I happened to look up and I was basically in line east to west of, uh, Redfish Bar. Okay. Or Half Moon Reef, depending on what map you look at. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a tanker going by the big bulb on the front of the bow. Uh, was completely out of the water, and the stern of the tanker was almost awash. I didn't think anything about it, and I continued fishing. Mm-hmm. About 15 minutes later, the boat did a 180 off the anchor uh, with, and then it turned around and did a 180 again off the, off the anchor where I'm Pointed back the way it was. Mm-hmm. I looked to the east and saw a very large wave or wake, boat wake, uh, headed in my direction, and it was moving pretty fast. It was growing as it came towards me. Okay, but it was a very smooth U-shaped, big U-shaped uh, wave. And was it like a breaker-looking wave like you'd see in the in the Gulf? No. It was just a big, smooth wave smooth. at that point. Okay. Uh, and my boat re- rode up over the top of the wave and down the backside. Just fantastic. But I was only about 10 or 12 feet from the edge of <clears throat> Tin Can Reef. Mm-hmm. And as that boat wake hit Tin Can Reef, it piled straight up, and then it broke uh, across Tin Can Reef. Had I been back another 10 or 15 feet, uh, the wave would have broke over my bow and probably sunk my little 14-foot Starcraft and Maytag me across the reef. How tall do you think the wave was when it broke over the reef? I am thinking that it was between 12 and 15 feet. My goodness. Now, how far from the channel, for people who don't understand, like how far from the ship channel is this location, your estimation? I would say about three miles. Mm -hmm. So you got a pretty good distance there, but yet you have this big wave obviously coming from the ship channel area. Now, between the time you noticed... Uh, like the boat getting turned by the sucking action, I suppose, or whatever was going on, um, and the time the wave actually came up and hit you. About how long of a period was that? Probably 45 seconds. 45 seconds. It didn't have a whole lot of time to react. No. Now, it's astonishing to think about a wave that height. I mean, that is a huge wave, and there's... You know, I mean, if somebody was anchored right up in that zone, I mean, that would crush them. Uh, Right. So kind of frightened to think about. But you said something very interesting. You said this wave continued to grow. Right. As it was as it was starting to hit shallower water, it acted like a storm tide. Okay. 
and grew and you know the the wave just got bigger and bigger and bigger in the shallower water Mm -hmm. and finally crashed out over the reef so when when it got into when it got into the reef was probably two to three feet underwater Mm -hmm. and of course it's just coming from the ship channel and coming out of 15 20 foot water uh and then it's as it came towards Tin Can Reef, <coughs> and the water got uh, got started getting shallower and shallower. From the time I noticed the wave until it broke over Tin Can Reef was probably forty five seconds. Wow! To wow. a minute and a half. Wow. It, there was, you know, there was no time to do anything. Mm-hmm. So you also had another encounter in Port O'Connor. Can you tell us about that one? Dale. Heinemann and I were at Port O'Connor, mm-hmm. and when we came in Saturday, one of the guys that was Dale's, another of his fishing buddies, told him that they were catching trout like crazy on the outside of what would be the south jetty in that pocket okay. between the surf and the jetty. Mm-hmm. So Sunday morning... We broke out just after daylight, went out through the, through the jetty, came back towards the beach on the outside, anchored up, and started started catching trout like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't they were schoolie trout, uh, fifteen, eighteen, twenty inches, but there was a bunch of them. And all of a sudden, Dale, who owned the boat yelled, cut the rope. And I looked at him and said, and he's moving from the stern up towards the uh, the, uh, uh, console at the time. Mm -hmm. I said, what? And he said, cut the expletive deleted anchor rope. So I ran to the bow, whipped out my play knife, cut the anchor rope. Then I looked out to sea and coming in at about a 45-degree angle was a wave or a wake. Mm-hmm. Again, this could have been a wake. Uh, it was going over the top of the South City of Port O'Connor and was going up, to, up into the dunes on the right-hand side, going over the jetty at the left-hand side. So Dale fired up. Uh, we were in a 15-foot MFG, mm-hmm. walked through windshield. He fired up his Evan Rood and firewalled it. When we got within 40, 50 feet of the wave, he backed down to an idle and yelled, hang on. The wave was growing as it was coming in. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because it was slab-sided. The, the leading edge of the wave was almost vertical. Wow. To, to the bottom. Huh. Uh, that MFG had a square bow on it. And when we hit the wave, we went into the wave rather than over the wave. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I'm hanging on to the windshield uh, on one side 
and Dale is hanging on to the steering wheel on the other side, and we were completely underwater. I turned and looked, and Dale was floating parallel to the deck of the boat uh, above the seat, holding on with both hands. Wow. How tall do you think this wave was at this point? At that point, probably 14, 15 feet. Man. And we went through the wave at an idle that Evan Root never missed a lick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came out on the other side. The boat was completely full of water. Motor was still running. And the boat had upright flotation and was self-bailing. And the boat slowly came up on a level mm-hmm. as it drained out and as far as I can remember, we didn't lose any gear. We were just soaking wet and scared. Um, was there another wave that followed this one, or was it just one? Just one. Wow. Very interesting. And, um, you know, to think about, you know, you're out fishing. You guys sound like me out on the fishing on the, in the Gulf of Mexico <laughs> in a 14, 15-foot boat. Did that many times in a 16-foot. You know, you got these waves, and if you don't have it where it's cresting or, or breaking, you can kind of ride over them. But you said this right. is like a sheer wall. Yes. Wow. Never really seen a, a wave like that. That's that sounds kind of scary. It it was. If you've seen the Poseidon Adventure or the Perfect Storm, mm-hmm. both of the waves uh, were slab sided. Okay. Yeah. Vertical. Okay. Wow. Happened right here yeah. in the great state of Texas, and. Um, you know, it's just important to uh, to get people this information to let them know, hey, you know, be, be aware of what could happen out there. And there are going to be bigger ships coming, bigger waves coming. And uh, it's important that people are safe and uh, know you might be able to make it. Always, always, always have your life preserver on. And uh, we appreciate you sharing your stories with us. Have you ever encountered a rogue wave in a ship channel or a basis or maybe even a radically large wave on a calm day somewhere out in the sea? If you have, email me at chester at chestermore.com. That's chester at chestermore.com. We would love to share in upcoming episodes to help raise awareness to this issue that is literally taking the lives of people. We're going to be talking more about that in season two. But for now, think about the cases you've heard and make it inspire you to do all you can to stay safe on the water. This is Chester Moore, Editor-in-Chief of Texas Fishing Game, the oldest and largest outdoor magazine in Texas, and its sister website, fishgame.com. Between these two award-winning outlets, we cover everything outdoors in Texas and beyond. While we provide you with plenty of hook-and-bullet how-to information, We have committed to our resources to bringing you the most comprehensive coverage of wildlife, habitat, and environmental issues that we can. You can get this award-winning coverage by subscribing to the Texas Fishing Game Print Edition, six issues a year, by calling 800-725-1134. That's 800-725-1134. Or going online to fishgame.com. You can also sign up for our three times per week e-newsletter to stay current on everything affecting fishing, hunting, camping, shooting, and enjoying the glorious great outdoors. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you would like a special PDF of our dark outdoor survival tips, email chester at chestermore.com. 
That's Chester at ChesterMoore.com. Connect with our blog at DarkOutdoors.com and also see exclusive video content. Remember, before you enter the great outdoors, pray, prepare, and pack heat.